Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and this is a special edition of Stu's Days because as we've talked about a lot on this podcast over the last several months, uh, when you start tightening monetary conditions by raising interest rates or by the, the central bank, like the Federal Reserve going out, the Bank of Canada buying or selling billions of dollars of, uh, of treasuries out in the market with quantitative tightening, at some point, even though there's a lag in that effect, at some point it kind of kicks in. And we've just seen with a, with a failure of a bank in the U.S. Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, I, I think another one has gone and there, there may be a couple of others that, that come along the way. Uh, we're starting to see the impact of those tighter financial conditions. So wanted to get Stu Kedwell on early this week because again, he has an incredible amount of expertise in this space. Uh, he is the co-head of North American Equities at RBC Global Asset Management and uh, and probably the smartest guy I know. So, and, and, and you know, one of the one of the things Stu about intelligence, this is, I, I always try to tell my kids this when, I, when I'm being a bit of a simpleton uh, in, in their eyes, but you know, it's one thing, uh, intelligent people can understand complex issues and explain it to other people who are experts in the field in a complex way. The real intelligence is being able to take complex issues and break them down into terms that, you know, an average person who's maybe not in the financial business uh, can do. And that's what's so special about what you do on this podcast every week. So when you're looking out and, and if you're thinking about this from an investment perspective, you're an investor, what what are the things that, that where would you start in terms of, of, of what's going on here? Yeah, like, so um, you know, where to start? Uh, you know, when interest rates arise, uh, you know that that is tightening financial conditions somewhere. And you have a list of places that it might manifest itself. And you don't know exactly where or when exactly that will manifest itself. Um, so, you know, the kind of the notion of, 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 uh, of dealing with that type of an environment is, is to say, well, you know, eventually that will start to bite a little bit. Eventually, you know, that will be a little bit concerning to earnings and the, and the, the dynamics around, uh, how much and how fast, uh, you know, those are, you know, pretty hard to measure sometimes. Um, in the case, in the case of, you know, these banks last week, uh, so there are three banks in the United States that uh, went into FDIC, into the federal deposit uh, kind of uh, process. And um, in each case, you know, they were they were slightly different. A couple of them were more, you know, crypto oriented. But in the case of in the case of uh, Silicon Valley, uh, which is probably the you know, which is the biggest one. So their deposits had surged in reaction to you know, what we've seen in the last 12 months. And they couldn't, they didn't make loans against those deposits, which is often the place that trouble uh, arises, right? It's the, you know, you make a bunch of loans and we don't know if the credit is still good. So, uh, you know, that becomes a concern. In this case, um, you know, most of the securities are, are government-backed securities. But, um, you know, what we've seen is when you get a, a very rapid rise in interest rates, even short-term bonds had gone down in value a little bit, right? And there were different regulatory constructs for different banks. Uh, the global or the, the what they call systematically important financial institutions, the CIFIs, they have uh, 
higher standard of regulation when it comes to some of these events. But, um, you know, nevertheless, so you have these uh, securities that are sitting on your balance sheet and in the fullness of time, they're money good uh, because they, they come, as I say, in most cases, they're the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. But what's required to get to money good is having deposits to keep financing that security uh, portfolio along the way. And in the case of, you know, some of these banks, you know, like, a, again, like a kind of a global, a systematically important financial institution would have access to all sorts of deposits, wholesale funding, small accounts, small business, commercial accounts, uh, you know, you kind of name it on the menu of deposits, they have it. Some, you know, smaller banks might be a little bit more dependent on just one cohort of those deposits. And in the case of Silicon Valley, it was highly dependent on venture capital deposits. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm raised money as a new startup. I put it on deposit at Silicon Valley. My business is not generating cash. So I'm very sensitive right off the bat because I know I have no inflow. And, um, and, uh, you know, so, so the first sign of trouble, uh, you know, I might take my deposits to a different institution and, uh, and many of my cohorts turned out did it on on did the same thing on the same day, at the same time, uh, and uh, you know Silicon Valley had some you know call it 160 billion of deposits and I think they had requests for 40 billion dollars last Thursday. Wow, wow. Um, so so that uh, you know that's something that's very hard to come up with uh, on a dime, so to speak, if you're a bank, and uh, in you know that that. Uh, you know, that has has in turn uh, led to the demise of Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, in the United States banking system, you know, give or take, you have, uh, you know, two and a half trillion of deposits or something. About a trillion of those are in smaller banks. And, you know, that's why you saw central banks on the weekend move uh, very aggressively to shore up uh, the, you know, kind of you know, some of the things that would be available to those banks to create cash should the need arise to protect the deposits. So the, the Federal Reserve announced a facility where you can take those securities that are on your balance sheet and you can take them uh, to the to the Federal Reserve and they'll give you $100 of cash in return for $100 of bonds, even if they have mark to market losses in them. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, so that that goes a long way to uh, taking care of depositors. So, so Stu, can, so if I can just, uh, let's just get in, because I, I want to define a couple of the things that you've said just for, for, for some of the listeners. So FDIC uh, for, 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 can, for Canadians would be somewhat equivalent to CDIC, deposit 100%. insurance. So government, government deposit, not exactly the same program, different minimums and things of that nature. Uh, but, but at the same time, uh, that would be the comparable. And then could you give me an example of a SIFI in the United States, and yeah, then are there any banks in Canada that are considered SIFIs? Yeah, so so uh, J.P. Morgan would be uh, you know kind of the most classic example. Uh, in Canada, every bank or the big six, anyways, are what they call domestically significant, so D SIFIs, and TD Bank and Royal are G SIFIs. So so, uh, but what the Canadian regulator did was. You know, when they when when TD and, and Royal became global SIFIs, they effectively made the same regulation for 
all six banks. All six banks. So, so yeah. from a Canadian perspective, I just wanted to put on the table from a Canadian perspective, this is very different. Very different. We have, yeah. we have a small number of big banks in the U.S. There are some big banks, but there's also, you know, hundreds of smaller banks uh, that are taking deposits, and and that's a significant difference as we talk about this. Then the other thing, just just on on in terms of terms. So, so take for example, in Canada, you buy a GIC at a bank. Yes. So you deposit a thousand dollars for five years. There's an established interest rate, right? The thousand dollars that comes in is paid out as a thousand dollars at the end of the term. The bank pays you interest. There's no fluctuation in value because you're you're holding it to maturity. Typically, when banks are are doing what Silicon Valley Bank was doing is they would typically take that money and invest it in and they would they would vouch that it's mark it that it that it's to maturity so that again their 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 billion dollars in is a billion dollars out but that wasn't the case here right they they were investing in in some things that that could fluctuate a little bit more in value and so when they're mark to market if you have to go and cash those in that creates the issue right Hundred percent. So, you know, just like say I had uh, started off and I had a hundred dollar one year bond, and it paid four dollars of interest, right? So if interest rates went to five percent, the next day, what would you pay me for the four percent bond? So I could put a hundred dollars and get five, or I can buy yours and get four. So I would pay you ninety nine, right? And I would get an extra dollar of principal. So the two bonds equate. But if I have yes. that one bond on my balance sheet, it's down by 1% until the, th the 365 days pass. So many banks would operate with these security portfolios and they would have a duration of maybe two or three years, like something that would be you know, quite reasonable in the context of yes. you know, matching the deposit franchise. In the case of some US banks, they bought mortgage-backed securities. And mortgage-backed securities work differently uh, particularly in the United States, because you know when you when you go get a mortgage, you get the interest rate, and if it drops, you get to refinance, and if it goes up, you get to use that interest rate for 30 years. So it's called it's it's convexity. So what happens is when you own that mortgage-backed security and interest rates go above the rate that maybe is embedded in it, the duration of that security extends quickly, and the value of the security drops by more than just the interest rate. So it's not like they had all their all their security portfolio in this, but maybe they had a percentage of it, and that caused a little bit more alarm. Exactly, and then and then I should clarify what it, when when I said mark to market, that means it's just valued at the the market level at a particular point in time. So if you were to sell it at this point in the market, here's what it's worth, right? So for example, another great I think comparison there is your house, right? You're living in your house. Right, it has a value that you paid for it, but until you sell it, that value is is somewhat insignificant. But you could place a value or take a guess on what your house is valued at today. Um, if you were say going to get a loan on that house, it would have to be valued that day. So, so that's uh, that's bang on. Maybe not maybe not the best. Yeah, the, the the best explanation, which is why I should leave this more to you. But the uh, so 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 I guess to what what is the what is the implication then for the broader market? Because we've seen a huge sell-off in 
um, or, or, or a huge flight to quality. So bond yields have come down dramatically uh, from two to, to, to 30 years. Um, and, and then obviously it, it increases a little bit of fear. So the, again, this is your whole, your whole concept of, you know, at some point tighter monetary policy impacts the economy. Yeah. So a couple of things, first off with, with the interest rates dropping as aggressively as they have in the last three days, it does alleviate some of those negative mark to markets, right? Exactly. Um, so yes. that, that is, you know, a, a minor positive in this, you know, the second is, is that, um, in all likelihood, there'll be tougher regulation as banks start to see deposits move around the system, notwithstanding uh, this, the Federal Reserve's uh, action, which, you know, while that protects deposits, I, I'm not sure it'll stop, you know, some migration towards, you know, some of the stronger banks and things like this. Um, you know, that is that is bound to tighten financial conditions. And, um, you know, those tightening financial conditions often lead to tougher to get credit, higher cost of capital. Uh, they can become, you know, impactful to earnings. And, uh, you know, I think that's what the stock market is attempting to uh, handicap or deal with. Uh, you know, as you say, uh, you know, when you, have, when you have mark to market, you know, the stock market is going to come in and try and uh, recalculate the odds of a variety of scenarios that might be in front of us. So, you know, we had, you know, kind of a soft landing scenario. We had a, a harder landing scenario. These these ratios of of um, of, uh, of uh, earnings outlooks, and you know that's what the stock market is trying to you know readjust or reorganize, uh, you know, in the last couple of days, um, you know, and, and and we'll we'll take it from there. Uh, you know, I think in the in the short term it is likely to be volatile. In the longer term, just as we were you know discussing before the call, like this notion that that uh, inflation peaks uh, one. You know, 12 months later, interest rates peak. You know, so inflation peak last end of last spring. Uh, you know, interest rates look like they're definitely in the you know more in the final stages of the increase. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, we do have a big CPI number tomorrow, but uh, you know what's going on in the banking system is likely to be taken into consideration. Um, and then you know, earnings often bottom 12 months after that. So uh, you know, this kind of this uh, kind of historical uh, you know, measure of how things play out, even though uh, the stories that emerge in any given in any given time are a little bit different, uh, you know that that's that's kind of what we're what we're focused on. So this does move the plot along, uh, for sure. Um, and uh, you know, so bonds have had uh, you know a very strong you know couple of days, um, and uh, and now we'll be you know just kind of continuing our work on earnings. And looking for some of those key vulnerabilities to make sure, uh, you know, the portfolios, you know, buttressed against that. But, um, uh, you, you know, this is this is, uh, you know, it's always hard to say which inning you're in. But, um, uh, you know, there is probably, you know, near the seventh inning stretch or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, and I mean, important point for bond investors. So a typical Canadian is about 55 percent invested in bonds, 45 percent invested in equities. Uh, it's, it's quite likely your bond portfolio or, or, or particularly the more conservative part of your bond portfolio um, has done very, very well out of this because of because of the move in those government interest rates. I know 100 percent. Yeah. And, and um, a couple of interesting points. You know, first, yes, yields are down, so prices are up. Uh, the second thing is, is, uh, you know, something we've talked a lot about is the slope of the yield curve, uh, say, between between twos and tens. Um, you know, that has narrowed 
dramatically. It's still negative, yes, but it narrowed dramatically. And um, you know, if 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 uh, you know, when we'll see inflation tomorrow, but if we can get on the in the in the payroll data last week, the, the wage the wage growth was a little bit uh, better. Uh, like, yes. you know, I, I you know I hate to say it better means it was lower in that case. Lower. You know, yes. yeah. you always like to see higher wages for people you know, but not higher wages generally for the economy when you're an investor. <laughs> Um, so wages were a little bit lower, uh, to, you know, to the extent that inflation can continue to come down then the, then the, you know, what the slope of the yield curve would suggest is that the fed can then, you know, begin to think about, you know, how high do interest rates need to go? Uh, you know, could in fact there be an easing down the road? Um, and, uh, you know, what's going on in the banking system might accelerate some of that discussion. Okay. So that fantastic synopsis, but, and uh, I just want to finish though. In, in kind of where, uh, so, so, so folks of, of, of our age, 35 and older, uh, p- perhaps the most important memory they have of markets and um, an unusual economic circumstance is the global financial crisis back in 2000, 2007 to 2009, recession really carried through 2010. A- and a, a, the immediate question that people ask is, you know, they see a bank failure is this has this the potential to become another global financial crisis and if so why and if not what's different this time well the, the main difference um you know so in the financial crisis uh, leverage was higher and the second thing was you know we worried about the quality of the assets right so so you know the the pricing of a of an asset is driven by uh your your concerns over quality and then the discount rate you you use to create the price. So the, the, the pressure here has been the discount rate, right? So yes. rising interest rates has pressured the value of some securities. But just like we've seen in the last three days, you know, that you know, that's kind of the difference between it's it's kind of like saying like the like the Fed, you know, we, we you know we've talked about, you know, the Fed knows how to stop inflation and they know how to start the economy again with higher with lower interest rates. Lower interest rates will ease some of the pain that is causing the current consternation around asset prices. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a credit quality issue. I'm, you know, no doubt there'll be some loan losses, but there's not this kind of vanishing credit that um, took place in the financial crisis. You know, not not only were some of the mortgages under significant pressure, but they've been sliced and diced in manners that uh, you know led them to you know some securities to be worthless. Uh, in a very fast manner, um, you know this is this is more uh, the impact of higher interest rates taking its toll, and um, and you know that that's a, that's a meaningful that's a meaningful difference, and then you know the the amount of regulatory change uh, since uh, the financial crisis, particularly in those you know SIFI institutions, is quite significant. Yeah, and 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 I I think it's it, it's also safe to say that you know just in in terms of okay is, is regulation working. Uh, you know, based on my recollection of 2007, 2008, as these pressures were building in the financial system, you know, regulators were somewhat unaware and were a little bit slow to act. What we've seen over this weekend uh, is the regulator and and the U.S. government has stepped forward very dramatically and uh, to send a signal out to markets that, that they're going to support this and make sure that it doesn't spread across multiple uh, financial institutions, and and that in and of itself, I think, should make us feel a little bit better. They 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 were they were watching so closely 
they, they were there the minute it happened. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. They, you know, the the, you know, from Friday at lunch when they closed the Silicon Valley to Sunday night, that's a, a pretty fast a reaction on their front. Um, you know, I, I I do think that the you know most of the homework here in the next little while will be in the short term. You know, just thinking through uh, you know the way it could ricochet around the banking system, and then the second order effect is. You know, what does it do to the economy and the, the earnings profile? Um, and then uh, the third impact is, is that priced in enough? And then, uh, you know, we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it at that, Stu. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for your time this morning. Uh, I know we, uh, it's kind of a, we, we, we pulled this together very quickly and I, and I know how busy you are, again, particularly in, in light of this. So, uh, so thanks as always for your time, Stu. Great. Thanks very much, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.